Welcome to the ALN podcast series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you all for being here on this September 9th. I'm Nick Kenoki calling in from Lander, Wyoming. And I just want to uh, thank our patron sponsors before we get underway today. And also mention that ABS Group is sponsoring this ALN Thursday at four. Uh, and ABS Quality Evaluations and Anuma System are continuing uh, supporters that make this program possible, uh, along with other organizational members, as you see here on your screen. Uh, and we're going to switch it up slightly. I'm going to pass it off to Mike Bordenero for a few upcoming event highlights. Uh, and just before I pass it off, I would like to say, uh, if you're out there watching, we would love to hear from you. So please uh, send any comments, questions, or thoughts in the chat, and we'll pass those on to Mark if it's a question or get it where it's needed. Thanks, and take it away, Mike. Thank you, Nick, and I am uh, very happy to be talking with Mark. Uh, uh, just met him, but boy, he's uh, a brother from another mother, and I wanted to first say that next week we've got a very special program that we're doing with the Australian Asset Management Council. They've been around for 31 years, and we're starting a series called Values and Benefits from Asset Management, and our first program is uh, featuring featuring our very own senior fellow, uh, Art Curlin, uh, talking about his success at the University Health in San Antonio and uh, a dynamic uh, asset manager, Peter Robinson from Australia. So uh, please go onto our website and register for that. We've got uh, over 250 registrants for that already. So there's a lot of interest in uh, this topic of values and benefits from asset management. And then uh, we're really putting together uh, a great annual event this year, Restructuring America, Building on Success. That'll be running from October 11th through November 12th. And our themes will be leadership, equity, and value. We've got uh, new formats of presentations, new success stories, new roundtable approaches, uh, federal initiatives, uh, private uh, company activities. We've got many industries represented. We've got another ALN Espanol activity and the U.S. Department of State, the Air Force, GAO, National Academies, uh, a new uh, partner, the Licensing Executive Society, and many more. So we're really excited about uh, the programs that uh, we're offering this fall and starting with uh, Mark West. So Mark, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And uh, where are you calling in from? I am in Dallas, Texas. Dallas, and I'm here in Chicago. So um, um, Mark is, uh, what's your official title with ABS Group? I'm the Senior Director of Reliability Services. And uh, I know you served in the uh, Air Force yourself. Navy. Na Navy, sorry. The I think other, I would have preferred the Air Force. I'm, uh, 
no, sorry. Nobody but, out there uh, is with the Navy hate me for that, but you know. <laughs> th thank you for your service. And uh, um, so clearly there was a, a nuclear asset management beginning to your uh, journey in asset management, but why don't you tell us about how you ended up uh, here on Thursday at four? <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate the introduction. Yes, I spent eight and a half years in the, in the U.S. Navy um, with the nuclear power program. Went all the way, went through, spent four years on the USS Tennessee. I was a, a enlisted electrician's mate, um, but the opportunity to operate a, a nuclear power plant and all the propulsion systems and electric system was interesting. I always say I would never have been where I am now without the opportunity to do that. Anybody that's out there that's been part of it and a lot of people that have talked about it know it was extremely uh, structured. <laughs> and I've definitely carried a lot of that through. And I think that is, is of the draw of, of ISO 55000 and reliability in general is just this fact that, you know, there should be a good way to do things. And once we have it, we put it together and say, we're going to do it the same way over and over again. We're going to get the results, results we expect. So, um, you know, after the Navy, I've spent many, many years in various industries. I've done everything from manufacturing car seats for automobiles making fire hydrants in a machine shop to extruding aluminum and even offshore drilling for over eight years. So I have an extensive background in maintenance and reliability across a large variety of industries. Uh, you know, starting off with maintenance a long time ago, and I think, you know, building into reliability over time and really understanding where that comes from. And recently, in the last couple of years, three years with the ABS group, getting into consulting because, you know, I want to help people to achieve their goals with maintenance, reliability, and asset management. And it's the way I see um, having the best impact. What's your wildest offshore rig story? <laughs> wildest, that's actually in Mexico. I was going on board a jackup rig and we got out there well after dark there were nice high waves. The entire boat that we were out on uh, was full of crates. And I'm thinking, get the crates off, give us a nice space, we'll get off. No, 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 they, we're more important. They need to get us off first. So they put us in what's called a frog. Uh, all kind of been enclosed, got some open sides, stretch yourself in, waves bouncing up and down. As soon as they lift us up, they just slammed us right into the side of the, the crates that they had left on board the, the boat before we get off. So that, that night going on to that jacket rig was probably. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. I figured you have something like that uh, for us. And I want to ask about any of your nuclear uh, wild stories. We don't want to know those. No, you don't. <laughs> so um, I said uh, brother from another mother because um, uh, through uh, your partner organization, ABS Quality Evaluations, we were introduced to the ABS group, and you had two white papers, one focused on water treatment and one focused on uh, the power industry. And they're very similar because it's one message, but you change the nouns and the images. And I had always thought that that is the exact way that we need to get this message out. So we quickly co-published the... Uh, the papers together. 
And we have uh, an event uh, coming up on the 28th where you're gonna be talking about that with uh, one of your clients, uh, how it is useful to them and the steps you go through it. Uh, we're really stepping up our uh, the quality of our presentations because of you. So thank you very much. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you thought those two industries were the good ones to get started to talk about? It's really, uh, they're so important to society in general, right? I mean, there's, it's forms the basis upon which we all live. I mean, we, we oftentimes don't think about it. You know, it's, it's just always there, right? Mm -hmm. Always there because of a lot of hard work, but I think there's always room for improvement. Um, you know, you, you always see there, there's multiple ways to get to reliability mm -hmm. and they're not always the most inexpensive way. <laughs> no. And I, I definitely see that encompassing in this ISO 55,000 framework and bringing it forward, understanding what's important to the business and truly taking that overall framework of, you know, these are our core values. These are our vision. This is what we're trying to get to. And this is what we need as, as an organization to be successful. And then those filter down. And then you look at your individual assets and say, how do these assets affect what I'm trying to accomplish? Yeah. And mm -hmm. once we've done that, um, then everything else is much easier, right? Now we can organize which things we want to take care of first and, and work our way down and even take things that, you know what, that asset has little to no effect whatsoever on our organization. Why are we spending all this money maintaining it, right? Right. I'm very much one about uh, efficiency. Mm -hmm. One of my mantras is all maintenance is bad. Some maintenance Ooh. just, you know, we have to do it anyways, right? So if, if you get into the framework of the, of the concept that maintenance is bad because it stopped me from producing my, whatever my product happens to be, and I only want to do what I have to do, that's a great you know, framework to come from. Ah, that's, I have not heard that one before. And mm -hmm. so thank you for that. Uh, very interesting perspective. Actually, it's so um, uh, game changing. It's going to take me a while to actually wrap my mind all the way around that. We'll be talking about this one some more. Um, but uh, you've been in so many industries. Um, let's talk about uh, power first. And how you're seeing ISO 55,000 being beneficial specifically to the power industry? Uh, you know, it's, we have a, a large group of people we're working with the power and the, it's so varied, you know, it depends on what we're specifically looking at. You know, is it in production? Is it in our transmission? Is it in distribution? But you know, the, the clients that we have worked with are, are seeing a lot of benefit from the, you know, standardization of the organization more than anything. I think, I think having an organization that understands where we're trying to get to has been the biggest benefit. Um, you know, there's all kinds of extra things we can do, you know, asset health indexes, that but I always say the core thing that we always have to go back to and people the biggest benefit from is how the organization embodies asset management. Um, you know, we talked about it, Mike. You know, one of the yeah. big things that I see 
with, uh, with reliability, with asset management is its cultural acceptance. I very much have looked at um, asset management very much like safety. And I, I've always tied safety and reliability very closely together. I, I, you know, there's a lot of different studies out there and, and it's difficult to always say, hey, that's directly related, but you typically see uh, facilities that are safe generally have better reliability as well. And ones that are reliable have better safety. I, I, I definitely believe there's a correlation to be drawn there, um, but it's really about the culture and the acceptance. You know, years ago when everything was unsafe and they, they started like, okay, we, we have to do something to fix our safety problems. They didn't hire a couple of safety people, put them in office and say, make us safe. Well, actually they did, but we know that the, that culturally that didn't fix things. Uh, I've, I've seen it in modern times in facilities that I've worked in where you know, they hire a safety manager to make us safer. Mm, you know, plant manager, people above that in the organization need to say safety is important to us. And the same way they need to say asset management, reliability, that's important to us. And we as an organization, every one of us is responsible for reliable operations just as was safe, uh, being safe, and I think only when that cultural change happens and we all embrace it and we all play our part are we really truly going to become reliable organizations. That's very interesting because when a movement starts, a, a business management movement starts, there needs to be a way for people to understand that it accentuates what they're already doing. And I think you tying the safety movement to the asset management movement, I think will be very helpful. So uh, let's, you know, in our spare time in the future, let's uh, maybe focus on that uh, as uh, something to write about and uh, provide examples. Um, the other thing, yeah, the other thing that you, you, you touched on, which, you know, we had talked about uh, previously is leadership and it wasn't about putting a safety person in, it's got to come from the top. Do you have any uh, uh, experiences uh, that highlight that? Usually it's from the negative side, right? <laughs> okay, all right, lessons <laughs> learned, we'll do that. It, it truly is, right? I mean, um, it's that lack of ownership from the top that things die on the vine. We have seen you know, successes now with, with our clients that actually take on ISO 55000 as a standard and embrace it. And they're willing to put together asset management plans and have a uh, you know, reliability uh, concept from the top that they're actually putting their name on it as the CEO saying, we are signing off on this. The higher we drive these things and, and the uh, more buy-in from the top that we are getting, we definitely see a better result from our clients. So it's possible to achieve a good, good result at middle management. It's a lot easier to see a good result when you have senior management involvement and senior management oversight and that they take an active role. And you, you mentioned it's, it's leadership, right? It's not just that I sign the piece of paper. It's that hey, I want to see a report 
I want to see something that's telling me that we're actually having success based on on the activities that we're doing and are doing the activities and what's next year's plan, right? It's about, you know, I love a cross-functional team of people making up an asset management council. This concept that our maintenance team or our reliability engineers are responsible for asset management. Again, it goes back to it's all, it's all of us, right? And once there's that core team that's that's made up of, of cross-functional, I mean, I don't want HR in there. I want safety in there. Right? And those are the people that are driving the uh, activities, right? They're not doing the activities. They're saying, for us to be successful, we need to do these activities and then providing oversight. They provide review, they provide funding, and they are basically put in place by that senior management that you're talking about and to make those things happen. And then they're held accountable for those occurring. So that's, uh, a real important uh, point uh, that uh, you're involving the relevant stakeholders. That's, you know, the beauty of ISO 55000. So um, ABS has uh, launched basically a, an ISO 55000 consulting initiative, right? Correct. Can you tell us a little bit? Do you do that? Do you request these councils be formed as part of your, your process? We do. We actually we'll call it our asset management excellence process, right? So, excuse me, uh, ISO 55000 is great, it, it, but it tells you from a high level, you know, what you need to do, We're a little bit more granular with it. We actually have uh, seven elements, 42 components, so each element has six components in it, and then each one of those has subcomponents, so it's, it's a very large um framework that we have around that. So it combines all of the elements of ISO 55000, what you need to be doing with a bit more of the, how do you actually get there? And are your systems set up and ready to, to execute those things? Everything from, you know, is your CMMS capable of managing the data to, are you actually using the CMMS properly through work management processes? Higher, we lay it all out in a, in a, my, my uh, Mine called it a wire, it looked like a wiring diagram, but you know, what's first? And the very first thing on our entire chart is organizational readiness, right? Form asset management council. <laughs> these are the people that are gonna make certain that we get all of the rest of these things accomplished. So with that, it's gonna be a, a long slog. That, that sounds uh, excellent. Um, uh, thank you for that. And uh, before we leave power, I wanted to uh, bring up another item, which is a uh, brother from another mother uh, item, which is uh, when we were talking, we were talking about the need for a holistic approach to uh, solving uh, world problems like uh, uh, excess carbon. Uh, and the poster child for improving our carbon footprint is electric cars. And that might not be thought out all the way is it? I, I, yes, I think that there's, there's issues there. Um, yeah, I'm going to back out from electric cars just for a second and speak a little bit about wind, uh, you know, because part of ISO was thinking about it, the entire life cycle of the asset, right? So yeah. before you build whatever you're going to be building, you should be thinking about how am I going to get rid of it at the end of its life? 
Well, that's another thing with wind turbines. A lot of times it, they, they found a problem, right? They got to the end of the life. The, the very tips of the blades are traveling at such high speed, they're getting, they're cracking, right? So they end up having to be replaced. What are they doing with the blades when they're done? They're not recyclable. They're really long. Remember how they get them there on a big, long truck? Well, how do they get them away from that location? So they're having to find them to cut them up into pieces and take them off to a landfill, right? So it was the not thinking about that end game that you know is kind of causing some some issues right now and i think in in some ways that it's similar with the, the electric vehicles um it's both the the front end and then the back end mm -hmm. uh, on end the amount of carbon that's being produced in in the actual production of the vehicle and you know, just producing an electric vehicle about half of all the carbon that it's always going to produce is produced when it, uh, when it's built <laughs> yeah Right, yeah. about uh, thirty thousand pounds of, of CO two is is produced for for a single electric vehicle, so it's probably about 50,000 50, miles where you have a break even point from a gas vehicle to an electric vehicle, where the electric vehicle will start having less CO two produced over its life than than a, a regular gas vehicle. Uh, also, at the beginning, you know, I think there's some uh, true ethical concerns with the, the the sourcing of the materials. Dominican Republic of Congo is a is a huge producer, uh, very little environmental or or humanitarian safety laws in place, right? They have <laughs> it's and even some name brand companies that are distancing themselves by putting third parties that are working with them so that they're saying, well, I didn't know there was that was happening in there. So yeah, some questionable things going on there. And then at the end of it, it's like, what do you do with the battery when it's, when it's uh, done, right? Right now they're getting, they're saying it's about a 200,000 mile battery. They're working the million mile battery, which, you know, there's probably a break even point where, yeah, there's, it's, there's benefit, but what do you do with the battery 200,000 miles after it's done? You know, there's recycling, but the, you know, doing the research on that, there's, they're difficult to recycle, very difficult. Right. There's a lot of glues that are holding it all together. What do they want to recycle? You know, it's really the smaller materials that the lithium they're not as interested in. And even the products they're using, the chemicals, uh, them are so toxic that they're, they're like, no, we you can't even use that here in this country. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot to think about um, and to understand that our part when we own the vehicle isn't the only part that um, that affects our environment. So yeah, that, that was really well stated, uh, Mark. Thanks for sharing that uh, on Ellen Thursday at four. Last week's uh, uh, guest, Mary Adams, talked about the fact that humanity is at a new point in dealing with these issues. And we can't use the industrial age approaches as we're moving forward and just mentally you know, we don't understand how to play something that's not a zero end game. And it's as much about human understanding and uh, evolution of our, our, our minds to, as it is about the actual physical assets. So you had said that uh, electricity and water are just essential. And that's why you started with those papers. It's, you know, just, you know, very common sense. Uh, what are you say, seeing in the water industry in terms of uh, uh, asset management and how it's helpful there? I, I can't say that there's any, you know, let me, let me, let me tell another story real 
quick. Okay, <laughs> that's what that's what I, this is. This is a, I joined, a platform for stories. I left the uh, automotive industry in 2008 and went to offshore drilling. Um, it was interesting. So immediately, I went from rural Alabama building cars to you're moving to Singapore for six months. We're building the vessel there. We need you there. Okay. And we went offshore and uh, the, the manager, some of the rig management team, we went out and toured the, to, through the rig and we got back on the boat we're driving in. They're like, what'd you think? I was like, that's pretty neat. And they're like, you okay? Why would I not be okay? And they're like, well, you know, people get out there, they get nervous. It's kind of scary. It's big. Honestly, I walked all over this vessel and I didn't see anything I didn't recognize. Everything out there is the same stuff that everybody else uses. It might be bigger, it might be smaller, but motors are motors, hydraulics are hydraulics, pumps are pumps. Yeah. It doesn't matter. We take the same pieces of equipment and we reconfigure them, put them together in a different way to achieve a different outcome. Uh-huh. So whether it's power or whether it's water or whether it's building automotive uh, automobiles or anything, we end up taking that pieces of equipment and managing them to the same end. Now, similarly, right, we have to have the same thing. We have to have the right organizational readiness capabilities. Um, so the main differences are, you know, what are our goals? Uh, what are the risks that we're associating with us? So, you know, the goals of power and the goals of water, while similar, are different. Yeah. <laughs> risks are also different. So understanding those differences of, of risk and, and desired outcome that form the basis. And then after we've had those components in, in place and then the, the, the team built to support all of the, that infrastructure that we're building, it's, after that, it's the same, same end game. We're going to manage the life cycle of that asset <laughs> built from the time that we think about making it to the time we need to get rid of it. So as I've told before, it's a lust to dust. Mm -hmm. um, are there any uh, things from the white papers that you would like to uh, highlight or uh, bring to our attention? Uh, I think they, they do speak for themselves. I mean, there's there's plenty of, uh, I think, sorry, that's not the question you, I was uh, thinking about. Uh, really. Sorry, sorry, I, I dropped that one. That's okay. Um, you know, I I keep harping on it. it it's, it, it's you know, we put it first, uh, ISO puts it first, yeah, everybody puts it first, because I think that organization and that leadership you know, that's, that's it. it. It's, it's, everything else is kind of the meat and potatoes after we have the context down and the leadership in place, you know? Um, well, that's why we are the asset leadership network and not the asset management network. Exactly. Right. It's, yeah. that's exactly it. Everything else is, is in a lot of ways, it's what we already do, right? We kind of, we naturally plan things. We know we have to support. Operations are going to happen whether we have ISO 55000 or not. They may not be as effective and efficient, right? right. Um, 
And a lot of people already do continuous improvement in some way. But it's bringing that top-down understanding of the context of the organization and making certain that leadership is in place and supporting that makes the difference. So I think that would be the, the things that I would say are the, the key to take away. Okay. Um, so I look forward to uh, working with you to uh, bring these white papers to uh, water associations and uh, to the power industry. And uh, um, we will be uh, highlighting uh, the power um, white paper on uh, September 28th. And then uh, on October uh, 12th, we'll be highlighting the uh, water paper. We'll be uh, following that with a uh, ALN water and wastewater asset leadership board panel. So we'll have a discussion, you know, a, you know, unplanned discussion, more of these awkward questions and, you know, trying to work things out uh, in real time with, uh, uh, you know, expert colleagues. And uh, I think we're gonna have an impact. So really, I, I thank you so much for, uh, getting involved in the ALN and the work that you had already done on those white papers. And uh, yeah, let's go get them. No, I appreciate it. You know, it just, it just hit me, uh, you know, one of the things that we were thinking about and one of the reasons that we wrote it too. Uh, I was living in Houston during that freeze last this past February. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like a really, there was more uh, acceptance and integration of these things and people thinking um, along the lines of, you know, what are they trying to accomplish and how are they going to accomplish it? Uh, because we were affected by both water and power, right? Can you hold that thought? I'd love, if you've got time for uh, overtime, I'd like oh, to dive sorry. into that a little bit more. I think Nick is going to be, uh, yeah, there he is. Uh, yeah, so I, I know some people only had 30 minutes for this, and so we want to thank you for your time. And just before you sign off, make sure to thank our patron sponsors, ABS Quality Evaluations and Onuma System, and also thank ABS Group for sponsoring this program of ALN Thursday at 4. Uh, and thanks to our organizational members for their continuing support for our newsletter, for this program, and others. We couldn't do this without you, so thanks a lot. Uh, and thanks, Mark West, for being here with us today. And it sounds like uh, we have some more things to talk about and you have some time. Yeah, because awesome. Mark, it's not just the Texas example. Um, now the heat is causing that and the fires are causing that same type of problem. Correct. Oh, all right, before I cut you off, you were talking about uh, living through it in Texas this last yes. year. What, what, yeah. what was the personal impact on you? It was it was pretty severe. I mean, we were without power for several days. Um, we were we had every blanket and quilt on the top of our bed. We were it was actually difficult to sleep because of the amount of weight. Wow, <laughs> half my size, and she was being crushed under it. Uh, we finally got heat and power on about three o'clock in the morning. One morning, I jumped up to check the stat. It was forty three degrees inside the house. Um, no water. So we end up finding out that, you know, with the water, the, the main problem is they lost water pressure. They lost water pressure because they lost power, but they had backup diesel generators. And they're like, well, we went and checked the diesel generators before the freeze. That's great. Did you leave them running? Well, no. 
<laughs> so that's do, you like, have, do you have something to keep the diesel generators warm so that when it's cold, they'll actually start? And the answer was no. So they didn't really understand that emergency backups, how it would operate and what would happen to it once it gets cold. They had no plans for starting them cold. They didn't have any preheat on the diesels. So it didn't matter if they started them the two days before it was 75 degrees out. Once it was down below freezing, uh, they couldn't get the diesels to start. So then all their pipes backed up, everything, uh, pumps cracked, pipes cracked. It was several days before they could get the water back going. Uh, just it's that simple understanding of, of what happens and why things happen. It's, it's quite, quite interesting. Obviously, yeah. power is a bit of a different story, but, um, you know, typically that's when people shut down and do turn, you know, turnarounds in, in Texas. We don't have the heat of the summer, so, which is when we use most of our electricity. It makes a lot of sense that in the winter when things are mild, uh, it's very unusual, especially in Houston, to freeze that hard for that many days. So um, nobody could foresee it, right? But there were no backup plans for what happens if it does and how are we going to recover? It's uh, not even a backup plan. It's no, a plan right. for your right. decent generators. It's your, your basic plan. Oh, but I was thinking on the, on the power side that, okay, we're going to shut these plants down, but what plants are we going to be able to bring back up? How fast can we restore, restore them? Um, who's, who's ready to go? Um, quickly, and somewhat of that is around the way that power is is sold and and bought and transmitted in Texas as well. So, <laughs> yeah. So that starts with policy, and the policy can't be make the most money. You know, it can't. I was reading about uh, uh, a power plant, you know, electric company in uh, Louisiana. And it was uh, a whistleblower interview with someone who was saying leadership didn't seem to care if there was beds for us in the plants where we were going to have to be staying. Uh, they didn't seem to care if there was food and water. They instructed us to not use the bathroom because there wasn't water for flushing. And so it was a leadership requirement to stop your human functions. That's, that cannot be the approach. And no. I, I know it's a whistleblower article and the person didn't give his name, you know, so he didn't get uh, retribution. But I suspect that that is the case with organizations that don't see equity and stakeholder involvement as being important aspects of their company. Again, going back to uh, last week when Mary Adams reported that the companies that have an ESG focus, environmental, social, and government uh, governance focus, did much better during the pandemic than other companies. And that makes sense because if you're concerned about what your customers are doing, then they'll feel it and even when times are bad they will be supportive of you so if we can use iso 55000 to help the c suites you know break out of a bottom line mentality focused on bonuses 
or whatever the motivation is and, and get more people to realize that their value is increased when you address these environmental, social and governance issues, then I, we'll have done a good job. But okay, that's me on a soapbox, sorry. I, I was gonna say, I mean, I, I'm a true believer that businesses were put, you know, created to create wealth, but that doesn't mean that exactly what you said is not the right answer, right? Doing all the right things probably actually does better for your company in the long run, right? You, by taking these, these good actions, you've built up better relations. As you said, your brand becomes better, your people are happier, happier people are more productive, everything comes so just driving for like you said is for the bottom line by it's uh you know cutting off your leg to lose weight right that's not, <laughs> it's, it's not effective it worked right you lost a lot of weight i've never but, heard that one before <laughs> yes it is goal. like that mark uh, very good point so. oh boy um <laughs> then uh, you caught me. Why don't you ask me a question for a change? Oh my. Well, let, me, let me just tell you, I'd, I was in Singapore in the uh, 90s for a bit. I was Electronic Business Asia Singapore correspondent. So I got to travel around there. I'm sure it changed a lot by the time you got there. But, Singapore uh, has changed a lot, yes. Yeah. yeah. They're actually an asset management leader because they are an island nation and they've got to be very careful with their resources. And they, they are a uh, shining light in Southeast Asia. I will, yeah, Singapore is a definitely an interesting place. It's, I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of people in certain positions that have a, the larger view. Um, I think that there's um, differences when it comes to the, um, boots on the ground, right? I, I tried for years to hire reliability engineers in Singapore. It's very difficult. It was difficult to find locals. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I do think it's, um, it's changing, right? As you said, right? Once you, once you understand asset management and understand that it take, what it takes to achieve you know, the optimal goals, then you have to start filling those middle pieces. So I, I think they're starting from the top, right? I think in the okay. U.S. and other countries, a lot of times we kind of started from the bottom up. We start with maintenance and this concept of maintaining, regularly maintaining equipment. Then mm -hmm. got further down the line into uh, reliability with the you know Nolan and Heap, United Airlines, and and the government uh, in, in involvement then, um, and then now we're kind of coming at it from the other perspective other side right from the leadership context side and i think singapore more started a bit from the leadership context side and gotcha so uh our ceo jim dieter uh has a question that i'm going to frame as uh in this way so you are a reliability guy who understands asset management we run into a lot of reliability and maintenance people who think that is asset management. So how do you help the reliability and maintenance people understand asset management? It's, it's a very um, 
there's kind of more than one part to it, right? Uh, reliability people, a lot of them start once the asset's already existent, right? They're very uh, hands-on, more operational. So the first part is the understanding that asset, managing the asset didn't start at uh, commissioning or beginning of operation, right? It starts way back in the thought of ever having it. Right. But it goes back to this kind of the same concept that I talked about, you know, we talked about earlier about, you know, that it's like safety, right? So if you don't have that organizational concept and the understanding that everybody's a part of it, then it is just reliability. Mm -hmm. And how successful have you been at executing reliability in a vacuum? Right. And what do you think it would take to make reliability more successful? Do you think if the organization could align their goals or you could align your goals with the organization's goals and the organization had visibility and it meant something from top to bottom that there'd be more buy-in and then more support for your reliability efforts. So that's the key, right? It's always, you know, we talk, I talk about uh, creating metrics and KPIs. And it always starts at the top. I'm like, what's the vision and goal for organizing you know, your entire organization? Now, goal and vision of your, you know, within maintenance, you know, how are you going to support your organization's goals? And then what KPIs and metrics do we need to set up to support those? Right. It only is only when it has that hierarchy and that line of sight visibility do you end up getting the success uh, that you're looking for. That's excellent. We're going to do some really good things together. This is a, a great start, but I can just see us making a lot of headway in this area. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining the uh, Asset Leadership Network. And everybody, please uh, tune back on uh, September 28th, uh, where Mark's going to get more in depth in the uh, paper on the uh, power industry. And uh, then uh, uh, again, uh, on uh, October 11th, when he'll be talking about the water treatment uh, white paper. Uh, thank you uh, very much, Mark. Thanks to everyone who's been uh, attending. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks for having me. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. And we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.